You're listening to Podcast by Committee, produced by Starting Five Productions. And now, here's Andrew and Max Brill. Thank you, Mason, as always, for the introduction, and welcome back to Podcast by Committee. I'm one of your hosts, Andrew Brill. And I'm Max Brill. Max, a bunch of stuff going on this week as we record this podcast. The NBA playoffs still going on. A prominent figure in the NCAA men's basketball is hanging it up after next season. Of course, we have Bob Baffert being banned for two years because a horse tested positive for us and it's i guess you tested positive for a second time but it was the second sample that was taken that tested positive but let's start with women's tennis and the french open and naomi osaka max and naomi osaka has withdrawn from the french open and that's a blow to the french open it's a huge blow to the french open and i think the most unfortunate part of this whole thing is that the people who make the rules in tennis still haven't seemed to figure out exactly why she's withdrawn, despite the fact that she's telling them. She said before the tournament that she wanted to focus on her mental health and that she wasn't going to be talking to the press and that she will accept any fines that they, they put on her. But in response, Roland Garros was talking about potentially banning her from participating at the tournament so she was just like okay i'll just i'll just withdraw so she withdrew from the tournament and then in response i think this is the most ironic part of the whole thing in response to osaka's withdrawal the president of roland garros came out and had a press conference where he didn't take any questions isn't that ironic that he's asking osaka to listen to the press and take questions but he won't do it himself. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of crazy. And I, I read an article, and the, this is Osaka did say it was about her mental health. And there's no secret to the fact that she's reserved, she's very quiet, she likes to be by herself. Even she said, you, you'll see when she comes on the court, she's wearing headphones because she has anxiety. And, you know, she's an awesome tennis player. But if tennis is an awesome person, yeah, I you have ball personed for her, and she's been nothing but nice to you. And Sam has ball personed for her as well, and she was one of the sweetest people you say that you ball personed for. But strangely enough, she decides to pick a sport where she's on a stage pretty much all by herself and one other tennis player. And I heard a story that a lot of this came out or started after the 2018 U.S. Open, one of her first major championships, but it wasn't about her. It wasn't questions about Naomi Osaka and how well she played and how well you have to play, especially on that kind of stage in New York at the U.S. Open. It was all about Serena Williams and the the chair umpire who defaulted and took a point away from her or a whole game away from her. So instead of her being down 4-3 and serving for the tie, she's now serving at 5-3, trying to stay stay alive in the match. And that's when a lot of this started to happen. But I understand that she says it's about mental health, and it seems that the letter or the statement that was put out 
put all four majors on that statement. It wasn't just the French Open. The statement that was put out by the USTA had the French Open, the Australian Open, the U.S. Open, and Wimbledon. With language saying they care about the mental health, it's, quote, the utmost concern. Well, if that were the case, they would have spoken to Naomi Osaka before the French Open started and either told her you got to face the media or you're facing these fines or we'll work something out. But that's the the thing is that she said that she was okay to take the fines. Like she'd already accepted that. That's not the issue. And, And I think one of the ironic parts is in that statement by the president of Roland Garros, he said, quote, as all the Grand Slams, the WTA, the ATP, and the ITF, we remain very committed to all athletes' well-being and to continually improving every aspect of players' experience in our tournament, including with the media, like we have always strived to do. End quote. Now, I don't understand how you can come out and say that while also doing what they did. If a player says, I will accept the consequences, I will accept the fines that you're going to make me pay as a result of not talking to the media, and you then threaten to punish that player even more, that's doing the exact opposite of what's being said in the statement. I I really just, I don't understand it. And I feel really badly for Naomi Osaka, who is one of the best women's tennis players on earth right now, and without question, the kindest person that I have ever ball boyed for. Nobody holds a candle to her. I don't understand why she's being treated like this because this is not something that gets people to watch the sport people watch the sport to watch their favorite players naomi osaka is one of the more talented players and people tune in to watch talented players as well making it so that one of the more talented players on the tour and one of the more marketable players on the tour at that withdraws from the tournament just isn't good for the sport i mean i i this morning I tuned in to watch Roger Federer. I'm not a huge Roger Federer fan. I like him. He's not one of my favorite players. But you tune in to watch greatness. It's the same thing with Osaka. It's the same thing when Serena Williams is playing. You tune in to watch the greats, even if they're not your favorite players. And taking one of those out of the game just doesn't make any sense. I really think that Roland Garros botched this. And I'm glad that Osaka is starting a conversation about athletes mental health as it comes to press conferences as it pertains to press conferences because honestly i think it's something that's long overdue i mean it's like a post-mortem for these guys you look at the nba and we'll talk nba later on the podcast but like just to give an example you look at the nba when a guy loses he then has to go sit at a podium and answer questions from the media and a lot of the time it's the folks from the media asking him the same questions over and over asking him to relive the final moments where he could have performed better, where he could have hit the clutch shot, where he could have picked up the block, whatever the case may be. And a lot of the times these guys are giving cliche answers. You know, I got to be better for the team. I got to do better for myself. I got to work harder to make that play next time. Because if you say anything that's off color, you then get disciplined. So I, I think that Osaka is drawing attention to an issue in sports that is present and real especially in a sport where it's an individual sport, not a team sport. I mean, it's all incumbent on you. It's all, you know, I I have to do better so that I can get better results. There's no team aspect to it unless you're playing doubles. 
So, so I think this is an issue, and I'm glad she's bringing attention to it. But with that being said, I, I really think that Roland Garros made a mistake here with uh, treating her the way they did. Absolutely. I think they definitely did. And part of this theme is we, we have advised Naomi Osaka that should she continue to ignore her media obligations during the tournament, she would be exposing herself to possible further code of conduct infringement consequences. Repeat violations attract tougher sanctions, including default from a tournament. And they, you know, they, they cite code of conduct, article three T and trigger of a, a major offense investigating uh, investigation that could lead to more substantial fines and future grand slam suspensions. She told you, she told you why she was doing it. And afterwards she tweeted out, the truth is that I have suffered for long, from long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open 2018, and I have had a really t- hard time coping with that. Anyone that knows me knows I'm introverted, and anyone that has seen me at tournaments, like I said before, will notice that I'm often wearing headphones as that helps dull my social anxiety. Now, if that were the case, why couldn't the people at the French Open say, okay, you know what, let's try and you, you, we got to do this? but let's try and do it in a way where you don't have to face the people answering the questions. Do it through a Zoom. Let them ask all the questions they want, but do it so that she doesn't have to sit there in front of them. Max, there's ways in 2021 of getting this done, but also respecting the wishes of a player. And I don't think, and the article that I read, I'm not going to name the publication, but the article that I read went into saying, well, you know, there's, there, there are media, and I use the term loosely, that look to get under the skin of players. And when they do, the players say something, and then they write more about that just to get them annoyed, get them angry. And what they were talking about is, oh, let the approved media in well how are you going to decide who's approved and who's not and i i don't know what you could say about naomi osaka that would get under her skin other than she's a phenomenal tennis player and she has social anxiety because she seems to be a sweet person but that being said there are ways the french open or the the officials at the french open could have had naomi osaka face the media in a a different medium or in a different way. Let it be a phone call. Let it be a conference call. Something. But they need they need her face. The media needs to write stories. And write stories about tennis. And Naomi Osaka is a big, big part of women's tennis. And there's ways of getting it done without showing her face but that's not sexy you can't show that on sports center about her talking about her match well that's too bad because this player has a problem and look there's been other players basketball players who don't like to take airplanes there's been other athletes you know john madden used to take a bus everywhere he went there's ways of doing things for these athletes that can help them out and help you out instead of threatening them. And I think that was a low blow, not only to Naomi Osaka, but it was a really low blow to tennis. And if it's the USTA that was saying these things and threatening sanctions, well, you know, she can turn around after the money she's made and say, you know what, I'm going to take some time off. Screw you. You don't have me anymore. I think that's that's one of the most salient points you've made because 
what I was going to say next is that the French Open and Wimbledon and, and the U.S. Open and the Australian Open need Naomi Osaka way more than Naomi Osaka needs any of them. Especially women's tennis is growing and the Williams sisters in the last 20 years have helped it grow immensely. But it still doesn't have the type of popularity that men's tennis have. The women, in many cases, are not getting the same kind of prize money that the men are. Tournaments are not going to get more clout, more viewers, more anything on the women's side without the best women's players. And Osaka is one of them. That was the first thing. And the other thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on the subject, because if I keep going, I'm going to just, it's going to be a tirade. But People who are like on Twitter, which by the way is the worst place in the world. Without a doubt. Like don't if you can if you can not go there, don't go there. But the people who are like writing articles or tweeting saying like, oh boo-hoo, Naomi Osaka, who made over seventy million dollars last year, like needs our support. It's like money doesn't buy happiness and money doesn't buy mental health. And just because somebody uh is is struggling with their mental health and they have a lot of money doesn't discount those mental health struggles like you can look at countless actors actresses artists professional athletes who have made millions of dollars who still struggle with their mental health and one thing i will say is that when kevin love came out and shared his mental health struggles kevin love also a millionaire also very successful in his field people were applauding him yet there doesn't seem to be that same sort of applause. There are a lot of people supporting Naomi Osaka. Don't get me wrong. But the Kevin Love critics don't exist. Yet there are a lot of people criticizing Naomi Osaka's decision to withdraw from Roland Garros and to take some time off tennis to focus on her mental health. And all I would ask those people is, would you have the same reaction if it was Roger Federer? Just something to think about. No, not at all. And it's interesting that you brought up the the point of, you know, women's sports not getting paid the same, not being as popular, all that stuff. And I was watching women's golf, the Women's U.S. Open, which is being played out in San Francisco. And it happened to be on NBC's Golf Channel because the men's tournament, the Memorial, was being rained out. <laughs> so it was, it was postponed. So... They had the women on. During the broadcast, they put up that they're trying to make women's sports more popular, in in particular golf. This was a, a golf advertisement. And they're giving money to media outlets to actually cover women's sports and make it more prominent, women's golf in particular. They'd have to prove how they would do that sort of thing but they would cover travel, they would give stipends and all that stuff. So this is what it's come to. And people don't even want to cover the women's sports the way they cover the men's sports, so much so that they have to pay for them. It's, it's, it's way unfair, and we've spoken to Christine Brennan about that, and even she says, and she's a big-time writer, she says that you know the, the, the equality is a long way off, but we have to keep working towards it. Max, let's switch gears a little bit and just want to talk briefly about a prominent college coach, Coach Mike Krzyzewski that we're talking about, a coach of Duke basketball, a coach for 46 years. Not only at Duke, but he's been a coach for 46 years. 
finally stepping down. And he's retiring for family, not due to changes in the sport. And someone asked him at his, his press conference, oh, is this because the sport is changing and players are you know, going to get paid for their likeness and all that? He's like, do you think in 46 years this sport hasn't changed? Really? Give me a break. I thought that was an awesome line from what seems to be an awesome guy. I haven't met him. I've watched him coach. I've rooted for some of his teams. And NCAA basketball's missing a good one. He's They're going to miss a really, really good coach. That's the thing about Duke and, and Mike Krzyzewski is like, they're kind of, they've been the Yankees of college basketball as long as Coach K has been their coach, as long as I've been alive, basically. Everybody hates Duke. And even before I was alive, I mean, you go back to Christian Leitner, you go back to, this is just a school that has prominent perennial successes in NCAA basketball, in addition to all the other sports that they're successful in and academically. Uh, but people hate on Duke. Everybody roots for Duke basketball to lose. Yet, I don't know anybody that doesn't respect Coach K. And that's one place where you can look at a guy's career and, you know, the wins and losses obviously are incredibly impressive. But the fact that every single person in the game and every single fan in the game, I'll bet you you go to UNC and ask any Tar Heel their opinion on Coach Krzyzewski. They'll probably tell you that they're grateful that he's finally retiring because it's impossible to hate him. And he's just such a great coach, clearly a great recruiter, puts together great teams, and he's a good guy. Like, there's no thing in his profile and his makeup and his life in anything where you can look at it and be like, I don't like that, unless you don't like that he's beating your teams. And, and I think that that is a sign of a consummate professional. Yeah, I heard a great story about another great coach before I tell that story. You look at the list of players that he's sent to the NBA. It's vast. And these aren't just players. These are really, really good players. Grant Hill, Kyrie Irving, Elton Brand, Shane Battier, Luol Deng, Carlos Boozer, Christian Leitner. We all know about him. Great college player. He was a, an average to, to good NBA player, even though some people say he was just an awful NBA player. He wasn't an awful NBA player. J.J. Redick, Zion Williamson, of course, Mike Dunleavy Jr., Jason Tatum. Couldn't get Boston over the hump, but he's an awesome player. Uh, Corey Maggette, Mike Jaminski way back when. Mike Jaminski hasn't been around in the NBA for a long time, but had played in 14 seasons. Mason Plumley. Johnny Dawkins, Jabari Parker. I mean, the, the list just goes on. Justice Winslow, who the Knicks were taking a look at. R.J. Barrett, who's on the Knicks. Cam Reddish. I mean, the, the list is vast. And you don't get to have that kind of success if you haven't been around as long as he had five national championships, countless trips to the Final Four. But, you know, if we stay in North Carolina for a second, I, just, I heard a, a great story about the late Dean Smith who was the coach at UNC, and in his will left something like 250 players. I think it was $186 to go out to dinner on him. And that was in his will. That's a coach. That's a coach that was around for a long time and cared about his players, and his players care about him. 
So it it's you know it's it's Coach K is going to end up doing something phenomenal like that. And again, it's all about getting out when he's still healthy, when he still has a lot of life to live, and he's got grandchildren that he wants to go to their stuff. He's made enough money. He doesn't have to worry about that. And good for him that he can go and do that. He and his wife discussed it, said, this is it. We're going balls to the wall this year. We're going to hand off the reins to my assistant, and we're going to ride off into the sunset. Pretty special. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome, too. And while we're on the basketball subject, I think it's only fair that we talk about NBA because the NBA playoffs are the story of the week, the story of the moment, I suppose. Uh, I am just so sad that the Knicks are out. They did get their first playoff win in eight years, which is huge, but they were just completely overwhelmed by Trey Young and the Hawks. And, and, you know, this might be a bold take, but I think that when you are unable to score points and when you are unable to prevent the other team from scoring points, that's not really going to be a recipe for success. Usually not. But the Knicks, I, I feel, look, let's back up and say, look, the Knicks were the four seed. The Knicks had an unbelievable season because when you came into the season, that was not the expectation. It's always fun when your team exceeds expectations, but the Knicks this year way exceeded expectations. They were talking like a fringe, maybe a, a, a play-in game for the Knicks. And they end up skipping that and playing as the four seed, of course, losing to the five seed. And we'll see that could very well happen in the West as well as Dallas leads the Clippers uh, three to two in that in the West as well. So, but the the top three seeds advanced on the East side: Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn. Milwaukee was the the only team to sweep their series. And now they play the Nets, and that's going to be a, a pretty darn good series, I think. And we'll see how well the big three can come up against uh, Milwaukee in that series. But the the one that's could end uh, as early as Thursday night when we're recording this is Phoenix, the two seed, knocking off the Lakers. And that's very possible. Utah, the number one seed, Utah, excuse me, Utah has already won their series 4-1. to one. Uh, Denver has beaten Portland 4-2. to two. Friday night, the Clippers play Dallas. That's the 5-4. Dallas is ahead 3-2. And right about as we record this, Max, Phoenix and the Lakers are getting ready to tip. So, How happy would you be if, if Phoenix knocked the Lakers off tonight? Because I know you're like the most anti-super team person ever. Like You hated it when LeBron went to the Heat, and I can't imagine that you love it. I didn't like when Kevin Durant went to Golden Davis. State. Yeah, and now and now with the Nets, KD, Kyrie, and Harden, like you're the most anti-super team person I know. Yeah, How I, happy would it make you? I've said it before. I'd rather take superstars and make them be superstars. Be the guy. Don't be one of the guys. But you can't win like that anymore because everybody's got these big three. You look at the Nets, they have a big three. The Lakers have two and three players. Uh, you know, LeBron and AD teaming up. I just wonder what it says. You, you, Yes, you have an aging superstar. Probably one of the best player in the world. 
one of the best players ever in LeBron James teaming up with, you know, getting Anthony Davis there. But what does it say about some big threes? And what happens if the Nets don't make it? It's an interesting scenario with the big three thing. Is there a different way to win? Look, if the Lake the Lakers won it last year, they've won enough. <laughs> I know it it took them a long time to get back there, but they won it last year. So would I like to see another team win? Of course. I'm not a huge fan of the super teams, but that's the way this game is played today. You know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, home run or strikeout either. But that's the way the game is played today, and I, I need to adjust to that. So look, if the Knicks could get a big three and contend for a championship i'd be okay with that too but i'd love for you know a team to play winning basketball and i think the knicks got away from that they got away from what they do uh, they got away from passing the ball and getting uh, getting a couple guys hot reggie bullock what well, didn't make the contribution that he's he made especially down the stretch in the season and that's because he didn't get as many touches you had uh, Derek Rose touching the ball, you had R.J. Barrett touching the ball, and you had Julius Randle touching the ball. And those were those were your three guys. There weren't where there wasn't a ton of contribution from other guys. So I think the Knicks got away from some of the things they did to to get them to where they could win basketball games against the Atlanta Hawks. It'll be interesting to see what the Knicks do in free agency because I think they're projected to have the most cap room of any team. And the free agent class for next year was supposed to be way more loaded than it is actually going to be because a ton of guys signed extensions. But Lonzo Ball will be available. DeMar DeRozan will be available. Chris Paul could potentially be available. And the crown jewel of the class, Kawhi Leonard, is going to be available. So we'll see where the Knicks go if they add to their young core and uh, try to make it back to the playoffs and potentially win a playoff series for the first time in a long time. Yeah, hopefully... That would be the case. I, and I think that the Knicks, because of the season they had and because of Tom Thibodeau and the way he coached, they've kind of made it a destination again. They showed you that they're moving in, they're definitely moving in the right direction. They need more pieces, they need more scoring, they could use a little bit more defense. I think that they've they've made the place a destination again. So we'll see if they're able to attract superstars, a la Kawhi Leonard. So that remains to be seen. So let's move on. And let's talk a little bit about Medina Spirit, Max, and what it means, really, that the horse failed its second post-race drug test, I guess the second sample that was tested, also tested positive for a banned substance, and it was 25 picograms. The the first one was, I think, 21 picograms, and it also tested positive in the second sample. But now lawyers are involved, and before they take the Kentucky Derby away from Adina Spirit and give it to Mandaloon, the lawyers have asked for and have been granted a test for other substances. All they tested for in the sample was that banned substance. And what they're saying is that that banned substance was a part of another drug that was actually rubbed on the horse for a lesion on its hip. 
and because that steroid was in that drug for the lesion, it ended up in Medina Spirit's bloodstream. So what they want to do is now test for the other drugs that are in that cream and say, look, you know what? If those drugs are in the horse's system, well, obviously the steroid came from that substance that they rubbed on the horse to try and get rid of a lesion. I think they may be grabbing at straws, but we'll see. And maybe they think that whatever the drug was, Automax, I think it was called, that they they treated the horse for the lesion with. If those trade, maybe they know that, hey, look, you know what? We gave the horse some of these things, and those are in Automax too. So, yeah, if we give those things to the horse, and then we rub Automax on it, and then we say, no, 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 test for those things too. <laughs> so where does it end, if you follow what I'm saying? Like, they gave the, the, the horse these things just so they can say, oh, we treated it with Automax for this lesion, but it also had this steroid in it. So... It, it also leads to the fact that Bob Baffert won't be around for two years. I, I do think that one of the arguments that Clark Brewster, who's the attorney for the owner of Medina Spirit, is making is really not a good one. He said that he hopes that the people who review this case realize that the amount of drug in the system could not have affected the race. And like, I really think that that's a very slippery slope to be going down because then where do you draw the line? I mean, the substance is banned. It shouldn't be in the system at all. But if we're going to tolerate a small amount that quote unquote could not have affected the race, like what is stopping other owners from just using a small amount that couldn't have affected the race and then trying to explain it away ex post facto? That I don't think is cool. And I'm not sure whether this warrants a two-year ban. I think that because it's such a bad look for Churchill Downs that Medina Spirit did end up failing a drug test. Like That's kind of why they're taking such aggressive action. I'm curious to see how many other trainers have had horses that have failed drug tests this year. And if they have had horses that have failed drug tests, how many of them were in high-stakes races like this? Obviously not very many, otherwise we would have heard about it, but that doesn't mean that they're not failing tests. So I, I do wonder if they're kind of making an example out of Bob Baffert. I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it does look like that might be the case here. It's interesting because the, the, the drug is betamethasone, and actually it, more of it showed up in the second test than the first test. 21 in the first, 25 in the second. Now, did they test the fourth place horse? Did they test all of the horses? So I don't understand it and if you're a better who backed mandaloon what do you do i guess you're you're out the money yeah which is really unfortunate i mean i don't if they overturn the race right and they say that medina spirits completely disqualified because they haven't taken out medina spirits win yet but if they do and you're a better is your ticket now good like wh what happens i i don't think I don't think they go back. I think they'll they'll take the money away from Medina Spirit, its owner, and Bob Baffert, but and give it to Mandaloon. But I don't think anybody else. If you're you know you or me, and we were at the track, or even went to OTB and bet on that race, you're out of luck, as they say. So I I don't think that there's any way to 
recoup any any money there. Not to mention, do you still even have your ticket for, for that race, or do you like most betters just toss and say, "Oh, I lost." Oh well. But I, I think that asking to test for all these other substances, which was granted by the way, is another slippery slope. I mean, you know, you need to know what's in the stuff you're putting on your horse. Whether you're putting it on your horse or in your horse, you still need to know. And the vet who gave it to you should know. Say, look, you know what? This has betamethasone in it. Do you really want to use this? Or I can give you a different antibiotic cream. So I don't know. Did they ask for that cream? I think we need to go to the vet and ask. Although I'm sure they pay that vet plenty of money. So he's not going to go clean. So an interesting day in horse racing. Bob Baffert will be out of Churchill Downs for two years. A little bit of a black eye. And we'll see what happens. This has been another episode of Podcast by Committee with Andrew and Max Brill. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, or any other podcast platform. We're there. And rate and review us on Apple while you're at it. It'll only take a couple seconds. So go on over there. Give us a five-star rating and review and say nice things, please. If you want to connect with, or say unnice things, honestly, like if, if that's how you feel, we take feedback, positive or negative. If you want to connect with us, we're on Instagram at podcast underscore by underscore committee and Twitter at pod by committee, or you can reach out to us via email hosts at podcast by Thanks again for listening to Podcast by Committee. Thanks again to Mason Pettit for the introduction, Kevin McLeod for the music, and shout out to Preet Kliegerman for the graphics. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe. Stay safe.